the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your favorite teams and leagues, The Athletic delivers everything you need on every sports story that matters. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription today. That's theathletic.com slash track. And of course, our friends at Morgan Stanley providing dedicated, unique wealth management solutions for athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley's global sports and entertainment strives to bring these professionals the solutions they need, including access to financing, supporting prospective players through the draft process. Find out more about the pre and post draft loan program at morganstanley.com slash GSE. That's morganstanley.com slash GSE. Happy Wednesday. My name is Mike Gennetti. Congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks. Today's going to be a very Milwaukee Green Bay-ish episode. All right. We're going to talk a little Bucks offseason. Of course, the Suns as well, both with some interesting decisions to make this uh, in the coming weeks. I mean, we have an August 6th league here in terms of free agency, which means August 3rd, 4th are going to be your uh, negotiating window for the NBA. The draft is a day away here. I mean, we are we are right on it here. Right on it. A week away from the draft, excuse me. Two weeks away from this free agent period starting back up again. So you're talking about a truncated schedule. Such is life in the NBA. So celebrate today, Milwaukee. But tomorrow, let's talk about Bobby Portis, PJ Tucker, and a few other ancillary players on this roster who just got you to a championship because there's a lot of work to do. With that said, the Drew Holiday trade has already paid itself off. It's done. It looked like it was too much. It looked like they paid him too much. All that. We're here. They got the championship. They, they were able to lock in Giannis. He's got 188, $188 million left on that contract. There's plenty to get to with the NBA offseason. Here's the agenda real quick. I'm going to break down some of these two teams, the final two teams here in the NBA, very quickly in terms of notable offseason points. Then one of our favorites, Andrew Brandt from Sports Illustrated, the Business of Sports podcast. He's a Villanova, Villanova professor in terms of sports law, sports business. You can go and learn from him there. He runs a Sunday 7 newsletter, which is an excellent way to start your sports week. Andrew Brandt on the show to talk about the business of Hall of Fame piece he submitted to Sports Illustrated, which is the best. Chase Daniel, of course, the featured player there. And Aaron Rodgers. He's got a tie back to the Green Bay Packers organization. He's been following this closely. He's had a lot to say. He's been pretty consistent with his messaging about how this Aaron Rodgers, the Packers, the Jordan Love situation came about, has come through, and will finish off, he believes, in September. So great conversation with him at the back end of the show. But first, of course, let's talk about these bucks. I mentioned Giannis is locked up. Middleton's got basically two more years and then a player option. So let's call it two years. All right. He's good for the next for this short window here. Holiday's got four more years on that extension. So three plus a player option. So let's call it a three-year window, give or take. Let's call it three more years of Giannis Middleton Holiday fully locked in. Now, Brooke Lopez still under contract. Okay. He's got two more years left on that deal. I don't know if he lasts two years. He's he's more of a role guy. He's he's important. Okay. He's there are certain games where he is the dominant force, and you need that kind of player. He's not crazy expensive. He's 13-3 next year. 
Um, you know, the, he's got about 14 million fully guaranteed left on that deal. So I think he's probably here for 2021. I don't think they need to make any drastic changes to this top five rotation right now. In the Connaughton situation, you may not need both Connaughton and DiVincenzo in 2021. So if there's going to be some sort of movement, it may be with one of those two players. It could possibly be. Um, DiVincenzo being slightly cheaper because he's still on that rookie contract uh, a year earlier, I should say. Bobby Portis has a cheap player option. He's absolutely opting out. He will hit the free agent market. He will try to get himself a big time deal with another team. And if it doesn't work out, look for Milwaukee to try to get him back at some point, if possible. Bryn Forbes, the backup shooting guard, 2.4 million of a player option. I expect him to opt out. But if he likes where he's at and he thinks that his complimentary role will actually feature him more at age 28, you know, he may have trouble going out there and getting $5 million somewhere. He may just stick around for that one and, and put, put Milwaukee in the driver's seat of his future. Outside of that, you know, PJ Tucker is unrestricted. Jeff Teague's unrestricted. There's, uh, there's some decisions to be made there. PJ Tucker is going to have offers from all of these contenders to do what he did down the stretch here. Not so much in this, in this final series, but certainly in the, in the series preceding this. Uh, his importance is singular and focused, but it is real. And teams like Brooklyn, teams like Philadelphia, they'll be looking for this guy. They really will be, especially if Philadelphia moves on from Ben Simmons and they need somebody to get in there and bang some heads around. So where are we cap-wise with the Milwaukee Bucks? Well, as you might expect, they're highly invested. They're at about 146 right now. On a, on a situation where, you know, the cap is probably about 112 and change when it all is said and done. That should be coming down in the next couple of weeks as well. So they're over. They're well over. Practically speaking, they can probably get themselves to about negative 23 when they renounce some cap holds and maybe, you know, move on from some of those, play, those options. So at no point in time do I expect them to be with cap space. They're going to operate as an over team. They'll have the exception to work with. There's a couple of small trade exceptions that probably won't come into the fold. But as of right now, they're 12 over the tax threshold as well. So they're a tax paying team as it stands right now in 2021, subject to change. But I don't think they care. <laughs> it's just one of those situations where you're probably going to continue to press down, like I said, for two to three more years. I'm not going to tell you they can repeat. I'm not going to tell you this is a dynasty or even a mini dynasty. I'm telling you, they just got it done, all things considered, and their core players are under contract for the next two years, minimum, mostly three. So it's good news from a business standpoint for the Bucks. The fact that Giannis was able to stay, the fact that they overpaid a little bit to and sought the value that Drew Holiday could bring, especially this time of year defensively, it all worked out. It's here. They have the, the, the rings. It's done. To me, everything after this point is gravy. And for those of you out there trying to play Skip Bayless, saying, well, now that they've done this, you know, let's not be greedy. Trade Giannis to LA and get what you can and try to rebuild this thing and start yourself over. Don't sit on your, you know, don't rest on your laurels and understand who you are, a small market team that really shouldn't be doing this year in and year out. Giannis has a trade restriction until at least mid-December. We are trying to get some clarity with the league as if they're going to push that back because it's generally a year from when you sign, but because things got thrown off here schedule-wise with the pandemic and the bubble and all that stuff, some of those dates are somewhat flexible and there's, uh, there's some amendments that, the, that the, the NBA will have to adjust accordingly. But for now, we're going we're gonna to assume it's a 12-15, a December 15th trade restriction. 
So they're not going to flip him this summer after he, they, he just uh, secured them their ring. Okay. That's not happening. Um, I, I get it. I get that point of view. I had it. I had an internal conversation with Scott myself about it, actually saying, you know, this is what a team like the Tampa Bay Rays or the Cleveland Indians would do in, in, in a sport with a competitive imbalance like that. There's no need for Milwaukee to do that. You go, you go all in again in 2021, 22, your core is intact. You minimize your tax bill as much as possible. If that's something that you, you're, you're concerned about. And I imagine they are, but I think they're pretty invested in what they have and what they have going forward over the next couple of years. Let's flip the switch to the runners up. And of course the elephant in the room, really, I think the biggest elephant in the league is going to be what's Chris Paul going to do with this $44.2 million player option. We are under the assumption here with Keith and Scott and I that he will decline that, which is good business for Fit Phoenix. And I think good business for Chris Paul. I think he can guarantee himself a multi-year contract that should put him upwards of like, so let's say it's two plus one. Let's say it's, let's say it's 65 to 70 million fully guaranteed with a third year option that he can trigger, or maybe something can trigger a club can trigger. However, they want to handle this. I don't think it makes sense for him to stay on this ungodly $44 million cap hit when there's probably a multi-year guarantee in his future. Now, does he want to stay in Phoenix? That's a whole different enchilada. I don't know what's inside that guy's head. He has bounced around. There's been you know, a, a few times where, where the Lakers have sought him, where LeBron James has sought him specifically, wherever he was at his point in his career. That's going to be attractive. There's no question. And, and look, teams like the Knicks, like the Heat... There's going to be options, you know, even Philadelphia, there, there's, there's going to be options out there and probably some uh, collusion <laughs> happening behind Chris Paul basically saying, look, you know, we, we get you probably want to stay. But if you're even thinking about elsewhere, let's consider this. Let's consider this. We can make you this kind of offer in free agency. I think it's going to happen. I think he's going to decline that option and at least go out there and, and listen to a, a, a few things. But ultimately, a multi-year extension, two plus one, maybe a full three-year extension to stay in Phoenix is how I'm, I'm reading this room right now. So that's my guess there. Outside of that, it's a very similar situation to what we just said with Milwaukee. Booker's under contract for two years, 70 mil. Aiton's got his rookie extension probably happen. He's going to get paid. All right. This is a third-year extension window for DeAndre Aiton. He can lock in five years, $168 million, tacked on to next year's salary. Jay Crowder's locked in for another year at 10 million. I expect him to go nowhere. Bridges is on the rookie deal. Cam Johnson's on the rookie deal. Some major, major players here, especially the role players, they're locked in. So who's not? Okay, we've got Tory Craig, unrestricted free agent. Frank Kaminsky, unrestricted free agent. Cam Payne, unrestricted free agent. There's some importance to that one, especially with an aging Chris Paul and just some days, you know, it's similar to a, a Brooke Lopez conversation I just gave you, which is some days you're going to have guys like campaign, just, just step up and it's their day. It's their day to shine. It's going to be 35 points out of nowhere for, for a guy like that who can facilitate the ball, but also can have those nights. So do they bring him back on an exception? Is he looking for something more in the 10 to 12 million range? Is he going to outprice this team? Because from a cap perspective, they're 124 allocated right now. There's a world with some, you know, Chris Paul declining, a couple of renouncements from cap holds that they could free up almost 26 million of actual cap space. That's uh, there'd be a timing thing with that, 
right? And and do they want to operate as an under team? There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of moving parts, similar to what the Lakers had a couple of years ago. So we'll see how they do this. We'll see if, because Chris Paul's decision is August 1st. So what do they do over the next 10 to 15 days leading up to that decision point will be interesting because they will have a non-taxpayer exception, according to right now. They do have a biannual to use. You know, I don't, I don't see a sign and trade in their future. That's not an option with, with a pain or a, or a Tory Craig, as you might imagine. So they're not going to hard cap themselves. It's, uh, it's one to watch. I think it's one to watch for sure. Who can they retain? How they can handle Chris Paul? Will they eventually be taxpayers? They're about 12 under the tax threshold right now. So, you know, can you gain a little bit more with a lesser cap hit from Chris Paul and then at that point, can you fit in a couple of those free agents, maybe even a new face here and there to bolster up this roster? I don't think they're worried about being slight taxpayers. I don't think they should be, though that reduces your exception. So if you're thinking about bringing back campaign on the $9.5 million non-taxpayer exception, which that could work, you got to stay under the threshold. You, everything else you have to do has to rely on staying under the tax threshold. So like I said, there's a timing aspect to this. There's a lot of moving pieces, but it all kind of banks on what is Chris Paul going to do with his $44 million. All right, let's switch gears and talk to one of my favorites, Andrew Brandt, about the business of Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame sports business, really, in terms of the NFL. Quarterbacks, non-quarterbacks, some busts. He's got a bust wing in his Hall of Fame. This is going to be an annual thing. Super fun conversation with him. And of course, some Aaron Rodgers talk at the back end as well. But first, Balance Bridge Funding has been providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and are ready to customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation and financial objectives. Borrow wisely and cost-effectively, avoid broker fees with no prepayment penalties, and if you decide, pay back early. Whether your client is under contract and simply needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest and make a purchase on earnings from their next contract, or for any other reason to borrow, let our sponsor, Balanced Bridge, get a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you and your client today. Visit balancedbridge.com. That's balancedbridge.com. He's at Andrew Brandt on Twitter. If you're not following him, you're doing something wrong. He runs a sports law, sports business program at Villanova. He's a columnist at Sports Illustrated, which we're going to get to in a moment here. He hosts a business of sports podcast and a Sunday 7 newsletter, which is really interesting. A good way to kick off your week. He's Andrew Brandt. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Yeah, really happy to join you. I always appreciate and admire your work as well. I appreciate that. We've, uh, I think we've been in sync with the Aaron Rodgers side of things now for a few months. You, uh, you've been laying on top of a hill with your expertise and your connection to the Packers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna save that for the back end of our conversation here because you, uh, you okay. finally did it. <laughs> you've been, you've been teasing this on Twitter for months, maybe even years. The, the business of football Hall of Fame. It's a, it's a new piece on Sports Illustrated that came out about a week ago now, that you've penned. Like there's a few obvious choices here. How how hard how easy was this for you? By the way, because I do this for a living, and I would have struggled with this because I there, there's a little bit of snarkiness with this, right? Yeah, I mean, you do do it for a living, and I use some of your uh, research credit to you to just sort of come up with career earnings for some of these guys. 
but kudos to the Sports Illustrated editors that yeah. kind of looked at me and said, yeah, like just what you said. You've been tweeting about this for years. It's been kind of a staple for you. Why don't you just write about it and we'll do some artwork with the, the busts and things like that. <laughs> yeah, I hope this and, sticks. Yeah, and I did. And I came up with a lot of names. Obviously, cutting the list was much harder than creating the list. Mm -hmm. And I think people know from my Twitter and everything else who's going to be obvious on that list. And we can talk about that in a minute. But I probably came up with low 20s in terms of numbers and primarily quarterbacks. Um, and they just wanted a, you know, they wanted a smaller list, which I understand. So we, we, you know, we had a lot of snubs <laughs> <laughs> and we brought it down to 12. So eight quarterbacks, four non quarterbacks. And, uh, that's my first edition, but obviously this will now be an annual event and I'll add each year to that list. I love it. And I love that there's sort of a formula to it because I think that's, that's important. Otherwise you're right. You just have a bunch of quarterbacks um, and this is going to hold up, by the way, this is going to become a thing because we're seeing, you know, every, every three to four years now, we're seeing another hundred million dollar contract be thrown out there. They're, they're, you know, less than half of them are going to stick. The Jared Goffs, the Carson Wentz's are probably coming up in conversations now, <laughs> right. right? I mean, they're, they're sneaking up on us here. Uh, yeah. I'll, I mean, the one thing I'll say is what's hard about the list is, I mean, we're going to talk about the Jamarcus Russell's yeah. and Bradford's of the world, but there are people you can put on the list that have had and continue to have very solid careers. Um, and you just got to sort of balance performance with money. And sometimes it's, it's easy to do with the busts, but it's hard to do with guys that have played well. The, the two that were cut that I was kind of lobbying for were the two mats. And uh, you read my mind. Staff <laughs> yeah. Stafford and Ryan have truly, truly optimized earnings. And part of it with so many of these guys is the pre-CBA earnings for top picks, yeah. which is obviously Bradford and Russell and, and Stafford and Ryan. Ryan was third pick. Stafford was first pick. It was pre-CBA that changed everything. But they managed to leverage that incredible first deal into an incredible second deal, into an incredible third deal. And... Yes, they've maximized earnings, but can you say they're in the Business Sports Hall of Fame? Well, they're a little bit too good <laughs> of, <laughs> of players to get into it, and that's where you struggle. You know, like both Mannings are at the top of career earnings forever, you know, but do you put them in the Business Sports Hall of Fame? Well, they're kind of too good. Um, so that's where the struggle is. Now, you do have incredibly... Uh, performing players like Larry Fitzgerald, like uh, Darrell Revis. But I think for quarterbacks, it's a little tougher because, you know, to make the quarterback cut, you've got to have kind of a middling career, which is really ironic. I think that's right. I think it's that there's some criteria to it where, and, and I, I was about to bring Stafford up as a big part of this conversation because I, I knew he had to be in the back of your mind, knowing what he made initially there. I wonder yeah. if that trade to the Rams probably stopped you, right? Because now he has a chance to go win a Super Bowl the next couple of years and really change the course of his career. Yeah, I think, as you know so well, his earnings are, you know, after 12 seasons are on par with earnings for some top quarterbacks after 14, 15, 16 seasons. And he could be, he could be the top earner in history. I expect it. 
I expect yeah. if, if he has a big year here, they're going to pay him a, a boatload of money and he's going to be the GOAT going forward now. Yeah. And kudos to Tom Condon and kudos to CAA. But again, a lot of this is for is fortune and circumstance. I mean, it, <laughs> as so much of it is that if you were a top pick before the CBA change that drastically reduced rookie compensation, primarily at the top of the draft, People think it reduced rookie compensation all the way. No, not really. Really, the top of the draft was the only true sufferers compared to the previous group. So if you're Larry Fitzgerald or Sam Bradford or Matt Stafford or Jamarcus Russell or Matt Ryan, I mean, you've got to be able to leverage it, which they did, but you're already halfway there to like huge earnings. Yeah, it was a necessary change. So you've got a lot of number one overalls here. You also have a fourth rounder, which is sort of middling around this conversation we're having right now. Kirk Cousins, I don't think would be on a lot of people's first, you know, first thoughts with this kind of a situation because of the the, the path he took to make his money. It was, yeah. it was almost anti-Kirk Cousins, right? And to say that he gamed the system, I think it would be backwards because... He was sort of pushed through the system, uh, maybe more so, and, and to a point to where I thought it might become a thing. I thought that might be the trend. You double tag a quarterback, you know, and then let him go on and sign elsewhere. Then he got fully guaranteed contracts. He, he became that that kind of poster boy, which he's not holding up very well right now. Yeah. Um, just your thoughts on him. Is is he just a product of of what the CBA can be, or is he an off uh, kind of an outlier here? Well, I think you you pointed out fourth round, and what's so amazing about that is, in that same draft, the exact same team picked the second overall pick was a quarterback. Yeah, and who knows what Robert Griffin's earnings are, but they're nowhere near Kirk Cousins. You know, he played the system, but I think part of it is just again circumstance where, as I talked about, the Washington Football Team, formerly the Redskins, when he was playing for them, uh, just decided. To never give him, I was following it at the time closely, never give him a truly serious offer. And had they done that, and we don't have to go into specifics of how much and how much guaranteed, but had they done that, he wouldn't be on this list. Because maybe he'd make, he would have made, I don't know, 30 guaranteed and 22 a year, 25 a year maybe. But he chose to go the franchise tag route because he did really get a serious offer. And as I've said many times, the franchise tag allows teams to date and not marry. And that's what they did with cousins. They dated him for two years because they liked him. They just didn't love him. And he leveraged that very well because this is something people don't realize. You never, ever, ever get productive quarterbacks on the market because, you know, all the, the greats, the Aaron Rodgers, the Russell Wilsons, the Deshaun Watsons, all these players that supposedly won out, they're under contract. So if you get a guy, you know, people can diminish cousins, but you get them on the market, that's big. I mean, you can't get these guys on the market. The last one was kind of a depleted Peyton Manning and only because they didn't want him in Indianapolis. So that happened. And these guys make a ton of money. You know, Alex Smith yeah. on the market made a lot of money. People can say Alex Smith is not this or not that. But you get to free agency and then you really 
do it well. And then, you know, to finish up Cousins, he did get that fully guaranteed deal and leveraged it again because the Vikings had cap issues. He's getting to that last big year of the full guarantee. And they gave him another massive extension last year. So he he deserves that list. Yeah. The cap pays. I mean, that's that's the Stafford and Cousins sort of a thought process here is that they've gotten themselves into such nice contract situations and allowed for restructures that have forced the hand of their team. It's been pretty unbelievable, especially in Stafford's case. I think he has six restructures in his career already in 12 years. It's unbelievable. Um, (laughs) One more thing on Cousins, because you're right. You're going down a different business of football path here with him. He's kind of got everything. He's checked every box over the past couple of years. Did did, did Washington make a, a, a dire mistake here with this process? Because what we're seeing now, and I know you're a big NBA follower as well, um, you know, in the NBA, you just sign everybody because the trade has become the the biggest vice out there and and everybody's tradable. Even the worst contract in the NBA is tradable. We've seen it now year after year. So that's the opportunity that, that Washington didn't afford themselves with Kirk Cousins. He had to walk because that third franchise tag was going to be nuts. It wasn't a possibility. And he wasn't under contract to the point of where they could trade him. I mean, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff were just traded out of out of pretty poorly structured contracts in one case specifically. That's a mistake from a team side here, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what you have is that you get guys like Cousins, you know, they're... <laughs> They're not willing to pay the market rate of the top quarterbacks, but they don't want to lose them. So they're in that no man's land. And that's what the franchise tag allows. But, you know, you set yourself up to lose them. And I think they were fine with losing. You know, they traded for Alex Smith. So he set himself up well. And, you know, he's the perfect example of using what was available to him. Yeah. And then leveraging it to this fullest. Yeah. No question about it. Any other names here that maybe uh, were honorable mentions that you'd, you'd like to at least give some credibility to out here? It, it could be. I love the bust wing, by the way. That's going to become a, a real popular <laughs> thing over the next few years. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of some that didn't make the cut. You know, there are other backup quarterbacks like a Brian Hoyer. Nice. who's kind of hung, hung around a long time, made some good money. Um, I imagine Matt Flynn came up at some point, right? Matt another Flynn, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> that was another, you know, with my Twitter reactions, that was a big snub name. Uh, <laughs> why not Matt Flynn? Um, you know, and I think there were players that uh, in, in non-quarterback positions, you know, that was tough to leave out, like a Trent Williams, offensive lineman, who's really done well in terms of earnings. Um, Calvin Johnson, of course. Boy, there's a lot of tiebacks to Washington here, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, Adrian, Adrian Peterson. I mean, these are names Can you get go. back to that <laughs> that weird equation that you have to be kind of not great yeah. on the field. Um, but then, you know, like I said, I couldn't leave out Fitzgerald, who did not one, not two, but three record-setting wide receiver contracts. And I don't think anyone's done that. Um, And, of course, Revis, who truly leveraged, even when he didn't have free agency, he had two years left on his rookie deal and held out. And it was a national stage on Hard Knocks to show how much angst he was causing Mike Tannenbaum and Rex Ryan. And I thought that was brilliant because the whole country's waiting for them to resign him and not play under his rookie deal. And then he 
course, made so much from the Jets different times, almost $100 million from one team. Terrell Revis was the NBA version of what the NFL players want to be. I mean, yeah. his, his ability to just continue to roll through and in and out of contracts, it, it was almost immeasurable what he, he and his agent were able to do. And he was mocking the NFL while he was doing it. I remember seeing videos on Twitter and things like that. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was playing the system perfectly. So he's got to be on this list. He's, uh, he's way up there for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I'll say about the end, and we could do a whole podcast on the difference, obviously, sure. but these NBA players, they get to free agency. That's right. They just do. And they do it in different ways. They have opt-outs. They have so much leverage. They can just sign a five-year deal. Short contract. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no proration. So yeah. the NFL allows huge signing bonuses to sort of lighten the cap load early. But that's great if you don't want to trade them. You know, if you want to trade them, it's all going to come back to bite you. You know, I've always been an advocate of pay-as-you-go in managing the cap. I did it at the Packers for 10 years, and I know there are a lot of teams that do it, but you get behind the eight ball on the cap, and now teams are stuck because of the reduced cap. You're going to have all this proration and unamortized bonus if you part ways. Yeah. So it's not as easy as the NBA because the NBA doesn't have proration. They just pay a guy $30 million a year, and it transfers. They're not left with dead money. So now sometimes they got to buy out and all that, but it's a much different experience in the NBA. So this is a nice little transition before we get to Rogers then, because I know, I know this has been a point of contention with you. You've been pretty, uh, pretty strong putting, putting yourself out there saying, you know, the, the Carson Wentz dead cap hit, the Jared Goff yeah. dead cap hit. Uh, um, it's just too much to tolerate in a single season. I ha- obviously I agree with you. I mean, I know where we, where we've been coming from the past 10 years and the fact that we're here now and there's a $33 million dead cap hit sitting on somebody's table, it's remarkable, but it, it just seems like business as usual for these teams. Is that how, am I reading that room correctly? Does dead cap really not matter that much anymore? Well, I think, you know, my next column is going to be on player empowerment, basically the lack of it, because, well, as we'll talk about, I don't think Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, or Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere, even though all the talk off season was that they were. Mm-hmm. Um, the one guy, the one guy, I'm, not, I'm putting aside Stafford, who kind of was a team with a long run, and they came in with new management and coaching. That, that's fine. The one guy who got out. The one person who got out this year is Carson Wentz. Yeah. And he did it by being terrible. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and by having a replacement. And, and, and then we talk about what we're talking about, which is disastrous cap impact. And they did it anyway. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, we haven't seen extensions this year for Mayfield or Jackson or mm-hmm. Allen. And I just wonder if they're looking at Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and saying, why don't we wait? And is that going to be a problem with them and their agents if they wait? But, you know, Andrew Luck, they waited. And other players, they've waited. Trubisky, of course. So it'll be interesting to see if the wentz Golf disasters resonate towards the new breed of quarterbacks because everyone's like, Oh, three years in, you got to do an extension. Well, do you, I mean, do you really, if you're a team, 
I'd have second thoughts about it. Oh, you're preaching to the choir there. I, I, I do think this year specifically, it's a bit of a two-sided conversation. I think the agents players are also saying, let's wait, because it's just not the right climate to, to do those kind of extensions, knowing yeah. what's coming in a year and a half and two years with the cap and things like that. Not that that matters, but uh, cap and cash are two very, very different things. But guarantee structure, things like that can change when there's more wiggle room to work with. I, right. I, I just think that the difference between the Carson Wentz contract and the Jared Goff contract structurally is the most fascinating thing because Jared Goff's contract was so easy to trade. It, it, it was you know traditional structure. You could toss a draft pick in, in with it, and that was enough. It, right. The reason you were standing on the hill with Carson Wentz's contract is double bonus, so right. much proration, very little wiggle room with the, with the guarantees that remain. You were stuck with $40 million over the next two. There's nothing you can really do about it. And oh, by oh by the way, at the same time, this pandemic void year situations happening around the league, right, where everybody else is sort of figuring out how to game the system with short contracts. Yeah, it's just this yin and yang, and yet here we are talking about it. It got done. It got the trade got done. They got what probably market value for him, knowing where he was productively in his career. It's just uh, it's fascinating. I want more of it. Is is my takeaway. I want more movement in this league and I want it via the trade. I think free agency has gotten a little boring, a little mundane. You come from a Green Bay background. You don't even (laughs) you don't even acknowledge free agency, really. So, um, yeah, but, you know, I was when I was with Green Bay, we Ron Wolf was a pretty active guy in terms of we put together proposals, move back the trade deadline, more like baseball the last month of the season. Mm -hmm. They didn't want that, meaning the NFL allow teams to trade cap room, you know, that was not something that flew over with the NFL. Just, you know, all these things could spur more hot stove activity, but the NFL is a little, you know, old fashioned with that. And I don't know if we'll ever see the trade and, and winter stove market like it is in baseball and basketball. Yeah, it's probably wishful thinking. All right, let's get to it. I've been waiting to have you on because I was hoping that we'd at least get some clarity with the Aaron Rodgers situation, but that is not his style, as you probably know very well. Um, he yeah. is probably enjoying the heck out of this passive-aggressive offseason that he's put put us all through. You haven't changed your stance, and I fully agree with you that the, the, there's probably one year left on this marriage, and, and and then we can have a serious conversation about him going elsewhere or retiring one of the two. Is that still how you feel, and what does it mean contractually for Aaron Rodgers as well? And my stance all along is that the Packers had a plan when they drafted Jordan Love. I I don't know if the plan was two years or three years. Obviously, it turned out in my situation, which was deja vu for me going back 15 years, that our plan was three years for transition from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. We didn't know it at the time, but it just became clear that we had Aaron ready after three years. I don't think any quarterback's going to sit for three years anymore. I just think we're in a different day and age. Because of the wage scale. Yeah, and I also think, you know, you want to get guys out there and see. Yeah. And so I always thought, and still do, the Packers' plan was to transition to love in 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, So Aaron goes out and he's MVP, and he's probably sitting there thinking, okay, what's the plan? What are we doing here? And I don't know what the Packers tell him because, frankly, as as having been in that chair for so long, I probably wouldn't tell him anything either. Yeah, you want to maintain flexibility. You don't want to lie. You don't want to say definitely we're going to love next year. 
And he's probably like, you know, if you're going to go to love next year, let's just do it now. You know, why are we doing this? And you want me to be MVP again and basically keep the seat warm. That's no fun. Now, this is all kind of basic stuff. The real thing is there's something going on that is deep that I don't even know about. And I'm close to both sides, which is a fissure, a chasm between him and the organization. There doesn't seem to be anyone in the front office that he trusts. The biggest news that come out of this whole story is that the coach, the general manager, and the uh, president have been out to see Aaron, and we're still where we are. So that can't be fixed with money. Uh, There's something going on there. You know, whether contractually, listen, I'm offering more money, guarantees, more years, that's all kind of irrelevant Mm -hmm. because he can still be traded next year and those guarantees in future years would travel with the contract. I don't know, you know, a real pain point for the Packers, I've raised this, is if they give him a void, say play this year and then pick your team like Tom Brady. I don't think they'll do that. I mean, (laughs) that to me is kind of the last resort for the Packers because they wouldn't get any trade value next year, but they would get Aaron Rodgers. Having said all this, I don't see a plan for Aaron. I don't. Right. I just... You know, life is about options. He's got no options that I can see unless there's some exit ramp that we don't know about. I don't see him retiring and I don't see him sitting out. I mean, that I guess that's retiring. So the Packers are not trading. And I get that. They had Jordan Love as a basically an inactive all year. And now he moves up to number two this year so he can be number one next year. <laughs> and he's not ready. Yeah. And they hold the cards. So, again, unless there's an exit ramp for Aaron to get to another team, I don't see him retiring. And I think the biggest news of, for me is always the, the draft pick from 2020 putting an expiration date on him in the Packers. But that expiration date is March, not this year. Right. And and that was always the tea leaves we were reading. But you're right. Aaron has thrown a huge wrench in this. And we're not on a player empowerment era in the NFL. So, you know, yes, Carson Wentz got himself out with a little bit of disgruntlement and poor play, but that's not what Aaron Rodgers is. You're right. You, you prefaced it with he's an MVP and probably could be again this year with that roster that they've got maintaining. Let's talk about the love pick real quick. I've, I've heard a lot of different sides to that story, right? You know, should they have done it in the first place? Wasn't it just good business? You've talked about how the whole process of sort of drafting then sitting is a bit antiquated as it is. But when you're when you're consistently drafting 28th through 32nd in, in the draft, yeah, you're just never going to have a legitimate chance at those top two or three quarterbacks, which is really where the line is drawn. So is, is that the Packers thinking like we, we got to get this done now? We've got to play the traditional route because we'd have to forfeit four years of our future just to get our next quarterback at some degree. You know, I just compare it to my situation. We, you know, Aaron's came to us. We had 18 players rated first round grades right. in 2005, and 17 of them were gone in the first 19 picks. And we're staring at that one name the whole time. And we decided to trust the board and not trade and not dip into our second round grades. So he felt us. You know, this is different. They went up and got him. Uh, I don't subscribe to the theory that you know when they're on the clock or in the in the heat of the war room, they need to call Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. But I do think there should have been some open and honest communication. Uh, 
about the plan. And I don't know if there has been, I don't know what set off Aaron, uh, you know, and I don't, I don't know if he'll be there in August. I know their training camp finds and all that, but I think he'll be there in September. <laughs> so, you know, listen, the whole goal, the Packers fans are the most spoiled fans in the history of sports. And I say that in a nice way because they're the only fans that have had franchise quarterback play for 30 years. And their hope is to have franchise quarterback play for 45 years. And that's the goal with love. Who knows? Like who knows with Aaron 15 years ago, but that's where we are. Um, so I see him there and I see him in a new uniform in a year. Okay. And, and the slight adjustment on the contract, like I think both of us have been saying just a little bit of a pull, pull up from maybe future years to give him a little bit more. Yeah, guarantee. I mean, that's a no brainer yeah. to, to bump him this year, you know, and, and who cares if they have cat, they'll, they'll make the cap work this year, but you know, they're going to have a $2 million quarterback next year. So <laughs> they can right. make it work. I, but I, again, I, anything in the future, who cares? I mean, that's going to travel with the new, new team. I have to say, since you've said it, and, and I've thought about it in the past, but I, I've put it, put it away because clearly the, the Packers' stance this offseason is we want trade value on him. But I, I have to think that void conversation comes up as, as a last-ditch effort to get him in a Packers uniform for week one. Yeah, I mean, it would really have to be biting the bullet yes. for the Packers to give up trade but compensation and let him walk. Um, and I don't even know how that would work compensatory pick wise, but even if they got a third round compensatory, that's not much. That's pittance. Um, so anyway, that's that's what's going to happen. I agree. I agree. And you've been on that hill since April 29th when this all came out. So good on exactly. you. That's why you're one of the best Twitter followers out there. He's at Andrew Brandt on Twitter. You can follow his work on SI.com. We'll be tweeting out this business of football hall of fame, of course. Um, if you're interested in this stuff, Villanova University is the way to go, right? I mean, that's where you're kind of doing your work. Your, your day job is teaching the youngins how to do all this stuff and talk to this stuff and actually have, have a career in this. And uh, you're all over the podcast world as well. You're everywhere. I appreciate your time, Andrew. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. And again, the Sunday 7 newsletter oh, is yes. something new, new I've been doing. So anyone can sign up at andrew-brandt.com. comes to your inbox free every Sunday morning. Thanks for reminding me. Thank you. Thank you. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment helping draft prospects. The NBA draft is right around the corner here. MorganStanley.com slash GSE. Get you financial solutions today. And of course, balancedbridge.com. For those out there in the professional world, looking for some security on their free future guaranteed money. If you're a free agent looking for work, get some clarity on what your next contract could be from a financial solution. Balancebridge.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. 